Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus prayed, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may, be com that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me, Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, we come to you as a people who have been separated one from another, who have been put into little boxes. Help us, Lord, to find freedom in your grace that we may be drawn together to be one just as you prayed us to be. By your Holy Spirit, strengthen our fellowship and draw us into one body. In your name we pray, amen. Jesus said that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The problem isn't that we are divided we really aren't that divided. The problem is that we're decimated and atomized. We make far too much out of individualism. The result is that we really don't know how to work together or to have solidarity. Instead, it's every man for himself. 
I take my kids to school in the morning. What do you think I say to them most mornings? I love you. That's a good thing to say to your kids. But that's not all. What else do you think I say to my kids most mornings before they walk into the school? I say, have a good day. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Have a good day. Well, this past week, I dropped my son Paxton off down at Baldy View Elementary on 11th Street, right next to 11th Street Baptist Church. And I told my son, I love you. And I told him, have a good day. And I turned around and started to walk toward the parking lot. And there was this other dad there. This dad, good looking dad, had long dreadlocks, had a shirt on that said, stay humble. And he hugged his kids like this. And he said, watch out for one another. Protect one another. And look out for the friends in your class and be safe. And they nodded and they said, yes, Father. And I walked away and I thought, wow, i got to work on my saying goodbye game. Man. There's nothing wrong with saying have a good day, but as I reflected on it, I thought, you know, that's kind of individualistic. You know, like a, a day is something we can sort of pluck off the tree. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a good one today. I'll have a good day for me. Instead, this other father was saying, whatever happens today, look out for each other, protect each other, work together. Our survival depends on it. Jesus prayed that we may all be one. He said, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Imagine, imagine, hypothetically, you could travel back in time and you could be standing right next to Jesus when he said those words, when he was praying that prayer. When Jesus said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Imagine you're standing right there and you were to say to Jesus, excuse me, um, Jesus, I noticed you just said that you're in the Father and the Father's in you. Could I say that the Father's in me and I am in, in the Father too? Can I say that? What would Jesus say to you? Would he look to you and say, nope, sorry, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. Would he do that? No. That would be preposterous. Could you imagine? So what it means is that it's true. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that because Jesus was incarnated and God became flesh, the same promise is true for us. God the Father is inside of you. and You are inside the Father. God. That is grace. This gets back to last week when we were talking about how Jesus actually cautions us not to worship him too much. He says that. He said, don't worship me too much. If you really love me, just do what I said. Follow the instructions that I gave you. 
And here again, the message repeats itself. If you really love me, if you really worship me, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, then understand that you are one with God too, and that we must be one with another. Again, that's grace. And it's why I say we are not as divided as we think we are, as we have been led to believe. We as a people share our same deep concerns. What we've got to do is have faith. Faith is believing that we are one, even when it seems difficult to accomplish. Faith is taking peaceful action for that unity and that oneness to occur. So how do we do it? How do we work for unity and oneness? Well, we can look at Paul as an example, our reading this morning from Acts. Danke for reading this morning, Ingrid. Acts 16 says, one day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. This slave girl was enslaved twice. First, she was enslaved by a demon. That's why she could tell fortunes. Secondly, she was enslaved by people, her owners. Slavery is wrong. And their wealth that they had gotten because of her wasn't legitimate. Then and now, some people use differences of skin as a way of justifying taking advantage of others. The love of wealth can blind us to the humanity that we share. So this goes on for a few days, and while Paul and, and um, his, his friends uh, are working together, she would cry out again and again, these men are slaves of the Most High. She was correct. Paul and the others were slaves of God Most High. And he did come to prepare and proclaim a way of salvation. It's ironic that a slave girl would call Paul to be a slave. And the title she uses is even more interesting. She says, slave of the Most High God. That's a specific name for God that we read in Genesis when Abram meets Melchizedek as he is still searching for the promised land, a non-Jew. And they worship God together, and Abram gives Melchizedek, the priest king of Salem, a tenth of all of his wealth. The first time in the Bible we learn of tithing. Paul not only will proclaim a way of salvation, he'll also give it to that slave girl herself. She kept doing this for many days, and it says that Paul got annoyed with her until one day he says, by the name of Jesus, be healed. It's pretty funny if you think about it. Paul didn't heal her because he was empathetic, but because he was annoyed. This is an example of how pastors and Christians aren't perfect. You could say that Paul should have healed this young girl the first day that he met her. 
It's similar to that story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman who asks him for a healing, and he kind of puts her off and puts her off, but she's so persistent that Jesus healed the Syrophoenician woman, and this slave young woman is so persistent that Paul heals her too. It's a sobering reminder to each of us that that even though we haven't actively enslaved someone, sometimes we stand idly by the sin of omission, not getting involved for justice when we should. But the good news is that he did. It's better late than never. Paul freed this young woman. But her quote-unquote owners got mad. This was how they made money, and apparently they made a lot of money. So they had Paul arrested and thrown into jail. The owners, you could argue, were enslaved to the love of wealth. And because they couldn't dominate this woman anymore, they dominate Paul. So the pattern repeats itself. They're not going to let go easily. It's interesting how the love of money can degenerate a person's behavior and how patterns of domination try to continue even when we confront them. Love of money is what separates us one from another. I didn't say money. I said love of money is what separates us one from another. So they bring him before the magistrates And they say that these people are disrupting our ways. That's true. He did disrupt their ways. She accuses them of being Jews and for advocating customs that are not lawful for Romans. From what we know, this is kind of how it went down in the early church. Christians, they could kind of go along incognito, spreading the word and growing. But as soon as someone called them out and they went to the authorities, the gig was up and they'd probably be persecuted. And the reason why was they would do a simple test. If you were arrested back in Rome, they would say, okay, so you've been accused of um, not following our customs. All you have to do is worship the Caesar. Here's some incense. Just burn it and pray to Caesar, our king, the son of God, and you'll be fine. And Christians wouldn't do that. So then the persecutions became worse. So they throw Paul in jail into the innermost cell where he's given a flogging, beaten. We see in this example what happens sometimes. A system meant to justice is corrupted. But at midnight, while they're in the innermost cell, there's an earthquake. And as I shared in the children's sermon, all the gates are flung open, all the chains are broken, and everybody is freed. The story reminds us of Jesus. Paul being stuck in the innermost cell is sort of like Jesus being in the tomb, enslaved by death. And when there was a resurrection, there was an earthquake as well. And in this earthquake, everyone could have ran away, but they didn't. So the jailer, when he wakes up and he doesn't know what's going on, he wants to kill himself. Why? Because he didn't want to face the embarrassment and shame of letting the prisoners escape even though it wasn't his fault. He knew what would happen to him. But the prisoners didn't escape. Why not? Because the followers of Jesus 
aren't about saving themselves as individuals. We're about fellowship. We're about saving one another and caring for one another, even prisoners to their jailer. What we need to realize is that by not running away, Paul is not going to leave things as they are. He isn't accepting the status quo. He's confronting injustice, not with violence or vengeance, but with grace and love, loving the very jailer that had locked him up. He tells him to believe in the Lord Jesus and he would be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. The jailer brings him to his house. He bandages his wounds. They serve a meal. They have fellowship together. Like we're about to have fellowship together. And they are all baptized. Paul shared the good news with the jailer and his family that we're saved by grace through faith and not by our works. Paul frees the jailer, and the jailer frees Paul. It's a very special function of faith to care for people who work for the state. It's a part of our life. There will probably always be government, and there will probably always be people who work for government, who are agents of the state. And what any Christian can do at any time is to serve as a kind of a role of chaplain, to love unconditionally all people, whether or not they wear a uniform. Thinking especially on this Memorial Day weekend of men and women who serve their country as chaplains, who take a vow to be non-combatants. Chaplains go into war and they are not given guns or swords or anything. And they go and they minister to the soldiers. And they minister to the prisoners of war. They minister to everybody. Each of us can serve our country by loving, like chaplains, all people. And it changes things. It changes things. In Revelation, Jesus said, I am coming soon. I'm coming back. And my reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. For they will have a right to the tree of life and they will be able to enter the city through the gates. None of us knows when our time will come to meet our Maker. But no matter when that time is, it will be a blessing to be found doing the right thing. Washing our robes in the blood means getting involved, even if we have to sacrifice something. It's about soiling our personal supposed righteousness for the greater need of the community. Maybe it's time to think about what are we willing to sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed his whole life for us. What are we willing to give for the lives? What are they worth to us? It's gotten to this point. The number one cause of death 
for children in the United States of America is what? Do you know? Gun violence. More than cars, more than cancer, more than any disease, the most likely thing to kill a child in this country is a gun. We need to think about what are we willing to do with our lives, our bodies, to protect the children and one another. What good is an individual right of our safety in jeopardy? What good is hard-earned money when there's no children to leave it to? When Jesus comes back to repay according to everyone's work, what will he find? And how will he find you? There is strength in numbers. We saw that at the church in Laguna Woods. When God's people work together, they can stop violence. We have to have faith and fellowship in sticking together that we would be one just as Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus, so are we. One body. Amen. We sing our hymn of the day, Where Would I Feast?